When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Manobut ahankar chittani naham. Nacha shotra jivhe, nacha ghrana netre. Nacha vyoma bhumir, natejo navayo. Chidananda rupaha, shivoham shivoham. I was nine when Baba explained to me, Shunya, you are neither what you see with your eyes and what I saw was my being in this world. That's not the reality. What you hear is not the reality. What you smell, what you taste, what you touch is not the reality. My Seven Chakras, episode 354. The seven chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body, from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My Seven Chakras, and now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My Seven Chakras, my7chakras.com, the place where you get to learn about healing, awakening, and attracting more abundance into your life. And today's interview is about diving deep into the ancient wisdom of the Vedas, yoga, Vedanta, Ayurveda, so that you can experience more joy and more connection on a daily basis. And who doesn't want that, right? <laughs> uh, so whether you practice some form of yoga or you're just curious about what the universe has in store for you, you, my friend, are really going to enjoy today's in-depth episode. But before that, we're going to quickly read out our latest iTunes review by John in the USA. And here's what he says about our show. I started listening to this podcast today and right away, I could feel the energy and intention behind it. I had been asking for a sign from the universe and this podcast flew into my life in a big way. 
I believe if you have the right intention, the universe will provide you the proper means and vehicle to fulfill your dreams. So I'm beyond grateful to have found this podcast and I can't wait to learn more about my spiritual journey and chakras. Thank you. Thank you, AJ. Your time and energy has not been wasted. Continue impacting the world and lifting up those in need. This is by John from the USA. Thanks, John. Action Tribe. If you want me to read out your review as well, then simply go to my7chakras.com forward slash review. That's my7chakras.com forward slash review. All right. So our guest for today is a globally recognized Vedic scholar, best-selling author and spiritual teacher of non-dual wisdom Advaita Vedanta. She has transformed the lives of thousands through her extensive knowledge of ancient Vedic Sanskrit texts. Moreover, she has used this wisdom to deeply examine her relationship with herself and the world. In doing so, she was able to overcome her own challenges, remove the veils of ignorance and awaken to a deeper truth and abiding state of peace and contentment. She is the first female lineage holder from an ancient line of Vedic spiritual teachers from North India. She was groomed in the study of Vedic scripture for 14 years by her loving grandfather and guru, Baba Ayodhya Nath, alongside regular schooling and chosen among multiple male candidates as the first female spiritual leader of the lineage at the age of 24. So as you can imagine, as you can foresee, we're going to have a lot of information that is being shared. So make sure that you have your notes and everything ready. Actually, Tribe, our guest for today is Acharya Shunya. So thanks a lot for joining us, Acharya. It's so great to have you on our show. <laughs> awesome. So, And are you ready to inspire? And be inspired. Yes. Awesome. So we always begin our show with some form of inspiration. So is there an inspiring quote on your mind right now? And how do you apply that quote in your day-to-day -day life? Yeah. I grew up listening to Vedic teachings of my guru. And some of them really struck, you know, they struck a chord. And uh, so those, we call our quotes in the Vedic tradition, sutras, shlokas, and mantras. So I would like to share this quote from an ancient text from 8th century by Shankaracharya. And it goes like this, Manobut ahankar chittani naham. Nacha shotra jivhe, nacha ghrana netre, nacha vyoma bhumir, natejo navayo, chidananda rupaha, shivoham shivoham. I was nine when Baba explained to me, Shunya, you are neither what you see with your eyes, and what I saw was my being in this world. That's not the reality. What you hear is not the reality. What you smell, what you taste, what you touch is not the reality. Nor is this body made up of the five elements, ether, air, water, space, fire, ether, space, ether is space, ether, air, fire, water, earth, none of that. Chidananda Rupa, your pure consciousness, pure awareness, Shivoham, Shivoham. And the way he said it, the way he said that quote, mm. and the way the teachers have been saying this quote for thousands of years stays with me, influences me. 
and I hope um, it inspires people. All right. Thanks a lot for sharing that amazing quote and beginning our uh, interview on such a beautiful vibration is the quest for understanding who we truly are. Are we our emotions? No. Are we our body? No. Are we our thoughts? No. Then what are we? And the answer to that is going to come in this episode. So thanks a lot for sharing. Now, uh, let's start our episode at the very beginning. How did you first discover the knowledge and the wisdom contained in the Vedas? How did it all begin for you? Aditya, in the ancient text, Bhagavad Gita, mm. uh, Lord Krishna, the teacher there, says that uh, if you are a spiritual seeker, mm. then I will make sure that you find your teacher. Leave it up to me. And if you don't find your teacher in this lifetime, you're working towards that real teacher. We're not talking about, you know, we're talking about the teacher mm. who opens that final door. Of course, you have to walk through it. The teacher is a door opener, but they open the exact door. They don't open the door to a bunch of mantras or a couple of malas that you can buy from them, you know, or go to an expensive retreat. They open the door to your true self. And apparently, I must have been a serious seeker. Mm. In some lifetime, couple of lifetimes, because I was born in Baba's home, my teacher's home, who was the son of another illustrious sage. So we are a part of a family. Hmm. And uh, I was just growing up. I was just a crazy little child, a precocious daughter of the family, the little girl. But I was born in a progressive, non-dual lineage. Hmm. And I, he would hold private classes in the morning with his select students, which I would sneakily listen to at times because I was not yet a student, so I couldn't sit in, but I was curious. And then um, he would hold a public satsang mm. where I'd often fall asleep listening to him. Mm. But I listened carefully. This is where I heard that first quote. And uh, it, 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 it put me in a tizzy because as a little child, you're not very intellectual. Mm. When you believe in who you love, mm. is Shraddha flowing through? So I said, if Baba's saying I'm not my body, then who am I? Mm. So probably that questioning began very early on. And then he chose me, despite my climbing trees and not doing things right. He mm. chose me. He believed in me. And um, though he decided when I was at age 24 that I would teach this path, I didn't really begin teaching until my 40s because I wanted to do, I didn't feel ready. Mm. I, 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 I had the knowledge, but then I had to forget myself for a while. I had to mm. be in the darkness. And I knew it because of the knowledge I had received. I'm like, oh yeah, mm. this is not my true self. This is yeah. my not self jumping around and playing these roles. Yeah. And when I was able to do the vad, the end of that, and mm. awaken to who I am, I began taking my students, and now they are worldwide. Got it. So, so many things from there, questions that I want to ask you. Now, firstly, I wanted to ask, obviously, you had the good fortune to learn from your grandfather from a very young age, and then you learned it. 
until you were 24 and you were chosen, like you mentioned, to lead the lineage from then on. But then you didn't start teaching until you were in the 40s because you felt that you were not ready. So talk to us a bit more about this sort of inner sensation that you had that made you feel that you were not ready. What was happening within you? Uh, was it like a spiritual message that you kept receiving that it's not time yet, it's not time yet? I'm trying to get a glimpse of it. And the reason why I'm asking this is because I spoke to another yogi master a few weeks back and he mentioned the same thing. He learned a lot of it when he was very young, but he did not teach until a certain age. So give us a glimpse about what uh, into what that felt like. Actually, the Vedas themselves provide uh, teachers with very good clarity. There okay. is really no need to be a teacher who's unprepared and then have a oops moment in the world and then have a fall from your awakened space. So right. the Vedas explain the non-dual tradition is very ancient tradition and it says that there are two kinds of acharyas. One is known as Shrotriya and one is known as Brahmavid. The Shrotriya Acharya is one who has heard the knowledge and therefore they can speak the knowledge. And they've heard the highest knowledge. So it's not like they are yeah. ordinary parrots. Yeah. They really have you know, benefits from that. Mm -hmm. But a Brahmavid is someone who has sat with that knowledge and, you know, and they're speaking and teaching it a little bit, but they're not really doing that full time. They're doing a lot of inner work. Mm -hmm. And then they awaken to Brahman. And Brahman is not Brahmin, a caste. Mm. But Brahman comes from the root word Bri, which means that which is ever expanding, that awareness, consciousness. So right. Brahmavid is one who has awakened to their true being. Mm -hmm. And though you know, between age 24 and 40, I always had some people I was helping or some, okay. some you know, some say I went to the temple, they would ask me to speak and things like that. And say I go back to my hometown, Ayodhya, people would follow me around. Mm -hmm. But I didn't really say I'm ready mm. because I had to, I wanted this knowledge clearly at a whole different level. There are Vedic teachers and they are Vedic right. teachers. There are Vedic teachers who know the all the Vedas and they can chant away to you. Mm. But are they peaceful? Right. Are they deeply, deeply, you know, uh, have they achieved the promise of the Veda? So I had mm. semi-achieved it. Yeah. Uh, but I wanted to go deeper. And so I'm not saying they are not awakened. All I'm saying is there are degrees. Yeah. And I felt more ready. And then when you're ready, because I've heard these teachings around how awakening comes, then it goes, but that's not the Vedic way. Once you have that, uh, that, uh, that pragya has opened up, mm -hmm. then you, there's no looking back. Mm -hmm. So I may look the same, be the same person, but yeah. we're different. Also, Aditya, we are a grihastha sadhu lineage. Mm -hmm. Sadhu comes from the word samadhi. One who has economy. Mm -hmm. And Grihastha means one who is a householder. Mm -hmm. And householder doesn't necessarily mean married, but householder means somebody who's choosing to live in the world, pay the worldly taxes, so to say, through relationships, through profession. So for me, it took a little longer too. See, I was living by myself. Yeah. The monastery, probably I would have been ready by 29. 
Yes. But because I was in the world, because I was raising a son, because I was seeing at my own ego mm. uh, and looking at the dharmic values that I've learned from Bhagavad Gita, yeah. in something as simple as a conversation on child rearing between me, myself, and my partner, mm-hmm. I took the time. But yeah. then when I come back, I come back ready to talk to householders and monks alike. That's right. Important. Got it, got it. So that's a really wonderful revelation, especially for people who are listening to this episode, because sometimes we feel this urge, this need to uh, want to jump into our path when we're 24 or 23, right? So what we're learning today is that you might have the information, but then you need to do some inner work as well as fulfill your own duties if you have chosen the path of the householder or the grihast before you feel ready deep within to, you know, press your calling, whatever that might be. Now, uh, I want to go back to your life with your grandfather, who was your guru, your first guru. Uh, you said that you were born in Ayodhya, right? So talk to us about the significance of Ayodhya in Hinduism and what was life like learning from your grandfather? You know, what was your average session like? Paint us a picture if you could. Oh. You really have to read my book because I have painted many pictures there <laughs> of like a trip to the Ganges, um, yeah. Sarayu, which fly, which is which distributes into the Ganges. So we would mm-hmm. go there every morning, most morning, and um, we would walk there early in the morning at Brahmamurta at dawn, pre-dawn right. actually, and five street dogs would follow us. I remember that mm-hmm. memory. And we would walk this quiet procession to the river. And then Baba would enter the river. I was only allowed to be on the guard steps. Mm-hmm. And then he would raise the water and Gayatri. He would chant the Gayatri month. Mm-hmm. And I have those out-of-body experiences just watching an enlightened being. Because later, earlier he was just grandpa. He was Baba. Yeah. Later I realized that he was an awakened being. Mm-hmm. Because I saw him through losses, through the death of his grown son, through ups and downs in equanimity. What Lord Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, Sita Prajna, he mm. was equanimous. He could, he was like a lighthouse when waves were coming and knocking against him. He was steadfast. Mm. So I, I, my sessions were not just on a whiteboard or a classroom. Yeah, they were, they were at the deathbed or watching my Baba not bypass his grief not dramatize it, be with it. Mm-hmm. So wonderful. I remember him being with the river when it was turbulent and being courageous walking into it and when yeah. it was playful and mm-hmm. being the same with it. So my teachings were very visceral. Mm-hmm. And that's why with my students, at least the, the inner circle who live near me and you know spend their time in seva or selfless service to my mission, it's a very visceral teaching experience for them, yeah. too. But yes, early morning, I would have we would we would study texts, and mm. like a, you know, and because we are from the non-dual tradition, uh, Vyasacharya, Shankaracharya, these are our teachers, and so we study their texts, the Vedas, the Bhagavad Gita, uh, and um, we go with the non-dual Advait uh, path. Mm-hmm. So we studied texts one by one by one by one by one, and uh, several of them. Then I would go to school, and um, it's a small town, so people uh, 
people actually wondered how come this naughty girl belongs to that great seer <laughs> because I was a bit naughty and right. I, I am still playful in that sense. Um, mm -hmm. That came in very handy uh, to, mm -hmm. be, to be able to be a bridge between where I come from and where I am today. Mm -hmm. uh, it allows me to be creative, my playfulness. And so then in the evenings, Baba would offer satsang and my job was to make chai and offer mm. it to people. So I used to, some my ego came up and I wondered if I could get a better position, like being mm -hmm. a host and welcoming people. But I had to wash cups yeah. and quickly mm. because um, Baba knew, he, you know, he taught us karma yoga, but offering to others. And so gradually... Now when I go back, I if you ever were in my class, I'm always giving examples of my own ego, my own battles with my own vanity, conceit, yeah. um, and even a sense of limitations. Mm -hmm. But uh, he's, he knew that I would make it. And um, not, not in terms of make it in a worldly sense, but I would make it in terms of recognizing myself. You know? So this 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 bio that you read of mine has been written by my team, not mm. by me. Yeah, mm. I'm just leading my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thanks a lot for sharing that with us. And as you were sharing the story, I could imagine you with your grandfather on the banks of the Ganga. In fact, uh, I've not been too many times to the Ganga, but the the one time or twice actually that I'd been to it, I'd gone with my family to Rishikesh. And we went, and I still remember crossing the Hanuman uh, Bridge and going to the other side and just, uh, you know, spending some time in the water. And there's something miracle, miraculous and sacred about the waters for sure. And, you know, those memories still are in the back of my mind. And I want to go there sometime in the near future. Uh, now, uh, in your upcoming book, you write about self, right, with a capital S, also known as Atma. So what exactly is Atma? And is there a difference between Atma and the soul? Or are they the same? Yeah, it's a good question. It's a great question to begin with because, um, uh, you know, we have to really set apart some of our learning from the yeah. Jidori Christian tradition of the soul. Yeah. And I'm not an expert there, but we all know some of those you know, things that are there. Yeah. It may be called a soul, but because it's easy to understand something that's not very physical, mm -hmm. but really um, Atma represents something that is sinless, pure. Okay. And the very definition of Atma comes from this Sanskrit word, which means that which is all pervading, oh. that which is boundaryless, boundless. Mm -hmm. So really when we think of a soul in other context it's you know it's under the purview of good and bad whereas in the vedic tradition your mind can be a little silly mm. and you know and commit mistakes etc but your soul is that part of your dimension that is blemishless known as vimala okay. it is your mind can feel small and broken but your your soul or atma is limitless and full so it's, you know, Purnam. Okay. Um, it is uh, immortal, Nitya. It is spread, Vibhu. 
So it's not like you and I actually have different bodies. Mm-hmm. And we have little bits of satellites called the mind, which is working for one common mind. But really, we both share a common self. So when we go deep, deep down, mm-hmm. and if we were to descend to that level, we would find kinship. And why me and you? Even the plants that are growing, the beetle, the bird, yeah. the butterfly, everything. Yeah. We all share a common home, a common center. And that is Atma. And this Atma is simply having an adventure mm-hmm. in a body. But it's never really in suffering mode. So something that happened in my own journey was yeah. hearing about it, Sharanam, yeah. thinking about it, Mananam, practicing it. That's what took me 40 years, needing mm-hmm. asana. Mm-hmm. How do I be in a soul mode now that I have been told I'm a soul? Yeah. First, I forgot. Then everything was like visceral and real. Whatever my mind believed, that was it. And I was just this body. You know, I was a female body. I was this height and this color. And these were my limitations, can'ts, do's and don'ts. Yeah. And now that I have been told I'm a soul, and that happens to us, even those of us who are listening on the podcast, the universe is conspiring to tell you that you are a boundless being. Mm. And when you start thinking about that, so then say I could lift something. Mm. Literally, Aditya, I would remember I'm a boundless being. I can lift that. Mm. You know, I'm not saying like you have to get into the book of Limka miracles or something. I'm just saying I was constantly testing my own limits. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what made me who I am today knowledge of the soul i'm not afraid of being judged i'm not afraid of being uh, you know put here or there even though some of the teachings in uh, you know the more mundane hinduism or mm-hmm. even the puranic lore does yeah. not match with the original teachings of the vedas which are lofty yeah. and ashless Action Drive. If you're looking for a podcast that explores spirituality through the lens of great music, then I have a recommendation for you. The Secret Chord by Aish New York. Each week, they feature a different artist and extract profound insights into the nature of existence through the lyrics and the artist's work. Learn about the story behind the song Let It Be by Paul McCartney or the Kabbalah and the nature of harmony from Crosby, Stills and Nash. If you love music and spirituality, then you're going to love this podcast. Listen to The Secret Chord today by searching for H New York on Apple Podcasts, A-I-S-H New York, or by Googling The Secret Chord with Adam Jacobs. Wow. Wonderful. Thanks a lot for sharing that with us. And this also helps put a lot of the principles and ideas that people have about Hinduism into context. As we explore the concept of Atma, which is the boundless uh, spirit, ever-pervading and interconnected with other beings, not just humans, but also animals and plants as well. And once we know that, like you've alluded to, there's a sense of strength that comes from within us. And usually we only see a glimpse of this. Like you hear stories of when a baby is stuck under the car, the mother has automatically gets the strength to lift that car. So where does all the strength come from? And that strength comes from the knowledge 
Now, in your upcoming book, you write about the concept of stepping into sovereignty, right? So what is your definition of a sovereign life? Please help us understand that. Sometimes you you hear a question and you have to just stop because mm. I experience bondage. And immediately one can conclude, well, yeah, of course, because you're a female and females are in bondage. Or of course, you're from an Asian country and women are not treated well. I'm not talking about that. Mm. I'm talking about the bondage of one is this wheel of birth and that insistence. If I've had many lifetimes of this, I'm bored. Mm. I'm done. Mm. You know, just somehow every minute, you know, first you grow up thinking that, oh, youth will solve everything. The youth is bleeding. And then there is only, you know, disease, dismay, depravity, death. Then you start again. And you start again. So there was some separation that I needed mm. from this very, you know, like a very typical experience in, as an embodied being. So for me, sovereignty means knowing that I am free deep inside. Right. You know, and that this is, and so one level of separate sovereignty for me is not knowing that I'm not my body and mind and that I am a free spirit. I'm a boundless being. I have a boundless dimension. Mm. This really helped me because mm. then I'm able to then at least lead this life from a less prescriptive space. Also, when we believe that we are this body being, then we um, are not boundless. Then we get pretty bondage under uh, two other kinds of relationships. Rather than having a relationship with ourselves, we have relationship with people and we have mm. relationship with things. And mm. think about it, Aditya. We spend our entire life and mm. we have religions preaching how to have it. We have you know, schools of medicine and, and 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 management and business technology telling us how to have our things and keep them, have more things. Yeah. And then we have psychologists and all of spirituality now is all about how to have your soulmate. But all this huffing and puffing and, and lusting and weeping and lamenting for what? Things mm. outside you, and you never discover this inner vortex. You talk about chakras. To me, chakras are like windows into mm. my boundless space. They are like doorways. They are vortexes that mm. connect me to the universe's mind. I want to ask this question: Who am I? Why am I here? Mm. What's my connection to some intelligence that's bigger than me? Chakras are one of those pathways. Sovereignty, which is known as Nipte Mukta in Sanskrit, is a state of being mm. where you are in the world, you are carrying on your roles, but you are free. Mm. I had a commitment to you to meet you at this time. What if the technology didn't work? Yeah. If I didn't know I'm a sovereign being, I'd be panicking. Yeah. Because I'm a sovereign being, I'd say, ah, not meant to be. Yeah. So you see, life becomes very easy when you're a sovereign one. So yeah. I don't know if I gave you an exact definition because mm. we say, people, what do you want? Yeah, I want a house. I'd mm. like a house on a hill. I want a, I want a child. I'd love a job in UNICEF. Nobody says I want freedom mm. because they don't know that the child tomorrow, that that raging teenager 
And then the kid who gets a wife you don't like, etc., etc., is yeah. all loss of freedom. Everything we desire takes something from us by fulfilling us. Yes. So what if I say, I, I, I would love to come to this meeting with AJ, the mm. superb master storyteller, <laughs> but I'd like to come with my inner freedom. See, there's a difference. And I think this is my basic teaching because I started experiencing the moment I came out of my family's like kind of a magical space that my grandfather had created for me, because he was also like my mother and father, because my mother passed away when I was young. Mm. I was only 10. And my father was traveling and he was in, you know, a kind of job where he traveled abroad also and India wide also. So I spent my younger years more with Baba and extended family and Baba became my center. And mm. he was such a free being that I thought this is how the world is. Right. But then when I came out, I got such a reality check through mm. romance, through love, through marriage, through childhood, through profession. Everybody yeah. was busy putting everybody in bondages. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I decided that my first book is going to be about the sovereign self. You can have it all, but not be bound by anything. That's what I Thanks a lot for sharing. Um, yeah, it almost feels like sometimes in life, the universe uh, puts forth certain knowledge or wisdom in our path. And so we acquire that wisdom. But then what do you do with that wisdom, right? And so the universe puts forth certain circumstances and obstacles and challenges that allows us to really test what we've learned. And that's the ultimate test of going through that, doing the inner work, and then going to the next level. So thanks a lot for sharing that with us. And you've alluded to the fact that you have studied Advaita Vedanta, which is non-dual consciousness studies. And you've written that that's what sort of kick-started your spiritual journey, right? So. How did your journey with Vedanta begin? Was it uh, still with your grandfather, your guru, when you were a child, or was it later on? And and also, if you could elaborate on how can one get more acquainted with their non-dual self, um, the true self within? The questions. So the first question was that how did I get acquainted? Well, I got I mean, formally acquainted and introduced because Baba was an Advaita teacher by excellence. So I learned, I got the knowledge and I got those um, mantras from the Upanishads and the Gita that were already changing my consciousness as I was hearing him expound. And a yearning developed within me to know myself and God. You know, it just happens. You sit with an enlightened teacher and everything else feels you know, diminished. Mm. But then he says, yeah, but now we're grasses, so let's go put you in the world. (laughs) And so it was really my marriage and difficulties in my own relationship Mm -hmm. and how my ego completely felt out of place. I still feel out of place. I'm not unnatural Mm -hmm. with one-on-one relationships. I'm very natural in crowds. Yeah, Like I can speak to, I've spoken to 5,000 people, you know, I can do that. Yeah, But when it comes to intimate relationships, I yeah. have an, a lack of knowingness. I don't have intuitive knowledge mm. as to how to be in my power, respect the other's power. So it what happened was when I couldn't work it, it led to uh, my ego being polarized. 
Right. And and I went from non-dual space into a complete crash in duality. Mm. And I didn't feel very awakened at all. Yeah. But because of the knowledge, you Mm -hmm. see, it was not just an emotional depression. I could actually say, wow, look at me crash. Like there was this Sakshi or observer part of me that could say, wow, Shunya, you're really filled with like, you know, hatred, anger, Mm. rage, and all the negative, dark emotions had taken over because uh, I didn't have Mm -hmm. the environment uh, to support me. And my freedom was lost and I was in bondage, you know, bondage of uh, expectations and um, And so I saw my mind create stories. Mm. But again, because of this background of knowledge, I'm like, that's a story. That's a story. So what happened was I converted my marriage Mm -hmm. into a laboratory. And I have a good news to tell you. I have Mm -hmm. an awesome relationship. (laughs) And, And I am enjoying many intimate relationships. And I have, that's how I knew I'm a teacher. Because the very area that was so confusing to me and had become split up into them and me, mm-hmm. and he and I and they, has yeah. now turned into a us and a we. And it's full of light. Yeah. And, yeah. So this is how I got into it. And the second okay. question is, there are all kinds of non-dual teachings. So there's the Neo-Vedanta, which is more in the modern world, and I'm can't tell you much about it, but it's something okay. between the classical teachings of India from the Upanishads and some Buddhism, and it's uh, yeah. kind of a mix. Sure. I teach the classical teachings. They are not very popular because they are difficult. Yeah. They are in Sanskrit texts that are not easy to interpret. Right. But I feel that um, that's the original body of knowledge that has inspired countless generations so if you get a chance mm-hmm. to study with a spiritual teacher attend their satsang and probably even study um, you know texts like bhagavad gita verse by verse something like i do there are mm-hmm. many teachers who are from traditional lineages and they bring that forward and we shouldn't give up that opportunity that is not to say that we cannot try other types of vedanta yeah. non-duality because there is no boxing of spirituality or tradition, right. I believe. But at the same time, if if you want to know what I where I come from, I come from the more classic non-dual Shankaracharya path. Yeah. Got it. That's that's very useful because many of our listeners are on this journey of uh, really un, you know, discovering for themselves what paths to take. And you putting that into perspective that there are many paths, but you know, this is your path, and there's definitely a, a more classical way of looking at Vedanta. That's really helpful uh, for for our listeners, for sure. So thanks a lot for sharing that. You asked how, my, how this path is different, and also something, there was a question earlier about taking time between 24 and 40 to launch. Yes. yes. So, I mean, launch as in, it's not like I published a website or something it's yeah. like i yeah i was willing to take a disciple right um in a lot of non-dual teachings today there is no concept of 
qualification, which in Sanskrit we call adhikari. But in classical teachings, you have to become an adhikari, a worthy person to be a teacher and even to be a student. There are nine, four steps broken into nine parts that you have to walk, even to be a worthy student, worthy, not from any other perspective, but like your mind is stable, your senses Mm. are inward, you can, you know, stay focused, you can be equanimous. Then there are, you know, steps for a teacher. So we have these checks and balances. Yeah. We don't believe that you've studied something so and now you've written a best-selling book. So Mm. now you become the Messiah for that. So probably in the classical tradition, there are these they've known how the ego acts out. So they have (laughs) probably that would delay to be also. Okay. Got it. So thanks a lot for sharing that. Some checks and balances, right? To ensure yeah. that uh, if you become a teacher or whether you're becoming a student, you're at the right place mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually to be able to pursue that that journey. Now, I know that you have studied yoga, Ayurveda, and Vedanta, uh, all these different sister sciences. Could you talk to us about how they relate with one another? Uh, because that's a question that I definitely have. If you could pr- provide us some perspective into how these three um, sister sciences, yoga, Ayurveda, and Vedanta relate to one another. That that would be awesome. Yeah, I mean, in the ancient days, Aditya, uh, Vedic knowledge was imparted systematically, minimally for a twelve-year period okay. in the wisdom schools known as Gurukulam or Guru. Mm-hmm. And in the Gurukulams, uh, Ayurveda was a mandatory um, teaching learning along with Vedanta for self-realization. So in a way, Ayurveda works on the foundation of your body being. And it's a misnomer to think that Ayurveda only works on your body. Unfortunately, that's the way it's packaged in the modern world mm-hmm. and holds like an herbal supplement or an oil or a treatment or a quick uh, you know, quiz to fix your energies. But Ayurveda is a complete science and everybody was asked to study Ayurveda. In fact, Ayurveda works on all dimensions of your body, the physical, the sensorial to purify that, the mind and the Atma, you know, to awaken that. So there's a beautiful teaching from Ayurveda which says, Sharirindya Sattvatma Samayogodharijivitam Nityagaschanu Bandhaschan so to lead a beautiful life, it is saying, please, please look at your body, feed it good foods, look at your senses, give it good stimuli, you know, music and whatever, or curate your sense of stimulus. Look at your mind, give it pure thoughts and learn thought management. And then look at your Atma connected to God and something divine. These are inherent. I just quoted you something from a text from 2 BCE, Charak Samhita. So these are very ancient teachings. So Ayurveda was like number one. You had to do it. And with that, you learned about your body, mind, and senses. You didn't even have to go into yoga and Vedanta then. So it was like the beginning teaching. Then you went into yoga philosophy because then it taught you so many pathways, Bhakti yoga. And they're all pathways, but they're ultimately under knowledge, Jnana yoga. So Mm -hmm. Bhakti prepares your mind uh, karma, you know, takes care of your ego. Karma yoga, bhakti yoga. You go into jnana yoga. 
And finally, the Gnana Yoga launches into pure Advaita Vedanta. So that would be the more advanced teaching. Therefore, I saw in my own guru, my own guru's gurukulam, I saw that we were learning about Ayurveda, we were chanting Ayurveda, we were eating seasonal foods. Mm-hmm. We were, um, you know, we knew what were the superfoods in a season. For example, it's fall right now. So we know how to cook with pomegranate, eat pomegranate, how much to have it. Should it be sour? Should it be sweet? Which one will help my mind and body more? I know that from my teacher, you know. So then the yogic pathways. Right now we are, uh, when I'm recording this, we are celebrating the goddess, the divine feminine. And and every time we do that, so these are all teachings from bhakti yoga. You know? mm. When I help someone, it is karma yoga. When I meditate, you know, it is raj yoga. So we know these things. These are our tools. Yoga is like right. a tool. And then when I'm talking to you, I'm feeling like I can I can I I can get over my problem of oh I don't know how to be with people mm. but that that's just the little thing my mind doesn't know but mm. when I remember Aditya that you and I share a common essence mm. as you can see I'm relaxing more and more yeah mm. I'm not ever tense as such but it's just like I start flowing so the knowledge helps you so these three come together in an ideal teaching. With much of time, they got separated out. They got specialized. Yeah. I became, became despiritualized. You know, yoga became broken into yeah. body-based yoga. Yes. And Vedanta became what it wanted to. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Well, thanks a lot for sharing that. That is really, really useful. And I'm sure that our listeners, especially ones who are new to yoga or Ayurveda, are now seeing how they're all interrelated. Every of these sciences play a particular role in your evolution towards spirituality. And like you've, like you've alluded to, it's all rooted in practicality, right? You can't learn about the truth about the universe unless you're having consuming the right foods, you're exposing yourself to the right senses, or to the right thoughts and limiting your sensory stimuli because that, as we know today, uh, like social media and too much of, you know, surfing online can really burn you out. And to think about all of this, this wisdom, a lot of this wisdom was written in 2 BC. That's 2000 years back. Uh, That's fascinating. The fact that it's still applicable in today's age. So thanks a lot for sharing that with us, Acharya, Yoga, Ayurveda, and Vedanta the sciences that that will help you transform your life and now you've written that sometimes in life buried patterns of emotions or thoughts they spring out out of nowhere right as it did in your life too so talk to us about how and why this happens why do these blocked and stuck emotions you know just spring out of the deep abyss of our subconscious mind and is there a significance to all of this huge significance okay I'll have to just uh, take a step back and go to the moment when we die in a previous lifetime. Okay. So what dies is really just the physical body. Krishna and Bhagavad Gita has talked about like, it's like just changing your clothes. Okay. So the outer body, uh, we have um, um, three bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have an outer body known as gross body or sthula sharira, an inner body known as sukshma sharira or subtle body, and then an innermost body known as the causal body where we carry our karmas. So what happens is at the time of death, only the gross body, which is made of food, 
yeah. drops. But the subtle body, which is composed of your mind, your intellect, your ego, your memories, all these four things, remains intact. Mm. Inside that, the container of your, the current sharira or the karmas that may have been fulfilled in that lifetime or may not have. So that's some memory, the, the, the root memory remains. Mm. And all that surrounds a piece of you because you're a boundless being, mm -hmm. but a part of you, it's called uh, chiddhabhasa. It's like, it's like you are this totality, but a reflection of you, uh, Aditya, you're, you're as big as this universe. But a reflection of you is who we call Aditya. Got it? Mm. So that's like the soul. It's just a reflection, but you're boundless. Yeah. So all this together travels and it and it looks for a womb. Okay. And based on the karmas, karmas say, ooh, ooh, I want to be a girl. Ooh, ooh, I want to be a goat. You know, mm. it finds a womb in mm. that. Mm. And then uh, say you find a human womb again. Yeah. In the human womb, you know, these karmas start deciding what kind of nose you'll have, what kind of temperament you'll have. And then you come out. So you kind of carry your all your emotions and your karmas with you to the next birth. And sometimes they will just arise. Lust will arise. Rage will arise. Love will arise based on what you brought in with you. So right. when we come up from nowhere, we have to know that nothing comes from nowhere. Okay. And there is a cause, and that <laughs> causes you, and okay. they come up for you to look at it, to mm. to look at it, to to bring your awareness to it, to address it maybe, mm -hmm. to address it maybe, to to resolve it peacefully or to transcend it. But none of it is happening randomly or you know knee jerk. No. Now. Then there are certain emotions that um, say you and I are talking and we mm. don't have a good experience, though yeah. we are having a good experience, but say we didn't. Yeah. And both of us had some, you know, misgivings as we walked away from it, but then we suppressed it. Yeah. You know, we just didn't like, oh, we're like, because we're so living in our subjective samsara or world of, oh, we're a good peace, peaceful person. So we <laughs> didn't allow that expression. Yeah. Then also this anger or this misgiving could come up in some different form down oh. the road. So to be most authentic in the moment and when things come up, to look at them and say, is it from this lifetime or it's from another story? But it's my stuff. And when it's my stuff, I can shine my light on it. I can mm. shine the light which comes from wisdom and then I'll know what to do with it. Does that help or it's too esoteric? Oh, no, it helps definitely. I mean, what comes to my mind is usually when we're having that uh, negative experience or that misunderstanding or that argument, uh, yes, that is a trigger, but that is triggering something that's deep within us that might not be related to this argument or this difficulty in the first place. It might be from something that happened months back, maybe in our childhood or even in our previous lifetime. And we need to have this thing in perspective as we progress in our lifetime. Correct? Yes, absolutely. But then if it triggers you, mm. when you walk away from that argument, you want to look at, wow, this thing got triggered. That yeah. means this this is still kind of polluting my inner space, my mm -hmm. chakra. And yeah. that is where the tools of yoga, either 
chanting or talking to God and saying, take this away. Because why would we want to walk around that people can trigger us? We want to be so peaceful. And you're absolutely right. It may not be related to that moment. Mm. I, I for sure, for example, um, had brought into this lifetime a lot of rage. Mm. Um, And for a while, I thought that rage came from my mother passing. Mm -hmm. But as I kept looking at it, I realized that this rage was just like hanging around like residue from Mm -hmm. some previous lifetime. Mm-hmm. And I worked at it. I I, mm-hmm. I I I started understanding anger that yeah. rage is meant to be like a protective thing to you, but wow. I'm not in a survival mode. I don't need this. And then I converted my rage into service, mm-hmm. into making constructive things. So right. in which way, I think what we're landing upon is shining the light on these emotions and not being afraid of them. Thanks. Thanks a lot for sharing. Uh, Now, I guess along the same theme, um, you know, sometimes no matter how much we plan our lives, we often have to take a route that is less trodden sometimes, right? We have got got to take the detour and not the path that everyone might be taking along our journey. And sometimes we end up experiencing a sense of regret because maybe a month or even a year have passed by and uh, you know, and, and there is no way that you can get that time back, right? Those five years or even 10 years back. So how does one get over this form of regret that you might be having based on an action or actions that you've taken? And now you're looking back and you're like, I wish I had those five years back or I wish I had those 10 years back. Does that make sense? Yeah, but these things, these kind of regrets kind of roll around in unconscious minds, which are not connected to God time. Okay. Which are not connected to the understanding, the basis of God will and individual will, karma yoga. So, for example, we plant a seed. Mm -hmm. I want to remind my listeners that we plant a seed, we can give it water, we can give it sunshine, we can sing to it. But ultimately, whether it will come out or not as a lofty fig tree is up to some other intelligence. So, when we study the deeper wisdom traditions, they, mm-hmm. Especially the Vedic tradition, it reminds us that you have jurisdiction in your action, not yeah. in its results. So when we can't mm-hmm. control too much of yeah. anything, really. But yeah. once we know our jurisdiction, we can do our best. Yeah. And there is a higher power that is orchestrating everything for us. And somehow this is the very root of, you know, the, the new God in modern spirituality, a modern human being mm-hmm. is you, the, the small self. Yeah. And so we don't want to, we think that I could have done this and I must have done that. Right. But look, there are so many forces that are orchestrating around you. And mm-hmm. if you really had to do that, you would be doing that. Okay. What you are actually, so everything takes fruit at the right time. Oh, mm-hmm. I should have known about Aditya's podcast five years ago. I'm having some. No, this is the perfect time. The mm-hmm. universe wants us to talk now. Mm-hmm. When that happens, when we develop this kind of surrender, yeah. it's not a passive surrender, but timing I always leave up to a higher power. Mm-hmm. My book, the the one we're discussing, is coming out next year. It could have come out this year. Yeah. 
And uh, for various reasons at the publisher's end, not my end. Yeah. The moment I heard, oh, I'm like, okay, that's meant to be. Yeah. When I said that's meant to be, I left it. I just left it. And do you know, I later found out that this was the best thing that would have happened because my business is so busy, incredible with other things that when I think about it, I'm like, God, somebody got me. Somebody's planning it for me. So regrets. And how can I go back and fix it? Mm. Lord Krishna says, don't worry about the past. Don't lament for the past. Don't worry about the future. Yeah. Work today. That's it. I hope I don't I'm teaching this from my reality. Mm. I was somebody who could sit there and be regretful. Yeah. And that took away everything from me. Now I have zero regrets. I do my best. I Mm. show up. Mm -hmm. I do the rest to a higher octave. Got it, got it. And I'm sure our listeners are, are really happy and uh, relieved knowing the fact that uh, in this interplay of uh, this life, there are certain things that are within our control. There are certain things, the energies that are at play that are out of our control. But we need to trust that the universe is orchestrating something wonderful for us and not to us. And sometimes only time will tell. Or like Steve Jobs says, sometimes you got to look back and only then we'll see how the dots connect with one another. So thanks a lot for reminding the, uh, us of, of that. And, you know, before we continue, since you're talking about Krishna, I just wanted to share that my grandfather did not teach me. He was not my guru per se. But I do remember that before he expired, he gave me the book. He gave me the Bhagavad Gita. And he said that you got to read this book because in this book lies the secret to your life and what might unfold. And so deep down, I always knew that the key to whatever I need to do will be directly or in- indirectly connected to the Bhagavad Gita, as well as the Vedas, as I, as an Indian, I'm learning and discovering more about my own tradition. So thanks a lot for joining me for today's episode. I just wanted to put it out there to build some context into this important discussion that we are having. Now, when we think about our past and what, what we're going through right now, the Vedas tell us that there's an element of karma at play here, like you've like you've mentioned a while back. So for those who are a bit confused about what karma actually is, could you please explain that? Because sometimes there's some misunderstanding about karma. And then after that, if you could tell us, is it possible to somehow dissolve our karma? Is that even possible or do we have to just live it out? Actually, karma is very simple. Karma can be understood that from the law of action and reaction. Okay. That in this embodied universe, when we come in the world of embodiment, whatever we do, say we bounce a ball, you know, it's going to bounce back. So everything will have a, a repercussion energy and action and um and a moral energy, a physical energy and a moral energy attached. That's the law of karma. So we have to bring in the good and the bad, the papam and the punyam, which we say in Sanskrit. So when we do something, uh, say I scold my son, and I'm quite like being Kali and fierce scolding my son for doing something that he shouldn't be doing. Right. But my intention as a mother is like ultimately, if I don't correct him, the universe will correct him in a bad way. So I'll correct him now. So this is actually considered good. 
So okay. it's the intention that counts. This I want to clarify. For example, otherwise all the judges are penalizing people, but they are penalizing them mm. to keep the society safe or the doctors yeah. are you know, cutting into bodies. They are not barbarous yeah. people. They're trying to save a life. Yeah. Somebody may die in the process of a surgery, but the doctor was still doing their best. So one, karma is based on intention. Two, if you bring positive intention to it, you deserve to get a positive bounce back. If you bring negative intention, it's very mechanical. There is nobody doing it. It is said in the Vedas that after the creator made the law of karma, they retired. Because now we we get to be many creators of our life. Mm -hmm. So you get to plant the seeds you want. So the positive. So I teach law of karma. I say, you know, let's stop dreading it. Let's start using it from today. Here yeah. is a rose that has grown in my garden. Look at this mm. big giant rose. Yeah. I have planted it. Mm. If I plant a rose, I'll get a rose. If yeah. I plant a thorny bush, I'll get a thorny bush. Mm. So now it's up to use. And this is based on, law of karma is based on the fact that you are a very powerful being. And just like the powerful being intentions and then gets what the intention, we also get to do it. So karma is really only the logistics of how things happen. Karma has got a lot of bad rep, I'm sure, as a, you know, as a host of spiritual teachers and hearer of so many people's voices mm. and questions. You know how bad karma rep is. Mm. But we can use that karma. Yeah. So say somebody is upset with me. Yeah. One way I use the karma is I think constant positive thoughts about them. Mm. Because karma can be done through thought, through speech, and through actions. And yeah. somebody has misunderstood me. Oh my God, Aditya, I, I claim the field. I mm. planned positive thought after positive thought. I chant mantras for them. I'm just busy changing that paradigm. I'm the owner of that mm. whole life. And I have found that either in this lifetime or the next lifetime, suddenly people will show up and love you and thank you because you had planted that seed right there. So that is the law of karma. And the, it's based on intention and it gives you back your power. But right. when you are not conscious of it, it still acts kind of like the law of gravity. Mm. Whether you know it or not, it's going to act in the yeah. same way the law of karma acts. So the sooner you get to know about it, yeah. the better. Got it. Thanks a lot for sharing. And it's true. There are a lot of uh, Indic terms that have got a bad rep. Like karma, people just think of the negative aspects of karma. Negative. That's your karma. And guru, guru's also got a negative rep, although it is not negative. It is in fact positive. It is uh, someone that you can learn under, somebody you can receive the wisdom under, and some someone who you can uh, who can help you transform your life completely. And so, as we uh, you know progress in this interview and in the next, my one of my goals is to share the accurate Sanskrit meaning of these words with our audience so that they can really resonate with it. And all of it is, all of what you're sharing is so uh, based in science, right? The law of cause and effect, everyone can relate to that. Everyone can understand that. But karma is much more complex because it's taking into consideration everything that's ever happened in this universe. And it's beautiful. So thanks a lot for sharing that with us. Now, Acharya, could you talk to us about Swadharma? Because you, you've written about Swadharma in your book, what is Swadharma and how is, is there a difference between Swadharma and Dharma? Dharma comes from the 
root word dhri, which means to sustain. Dharayante iti dharmaha. Okay. So dharma is a very big word. It's an umbrella word, really. And anything, anything that we do to uphold something, sustain something, nourish something, protect something is dharmic behavior. So say within the family, if parents set rules, that's dharma. Yep. If parents cook organic food, that's dharma. But if parents are permissive and they let their child eat, you know, bad food, that's non-dharma. Mm -hmm. Similarly, in the universe, all the planets around their orbits, they are following yeah. dharma so that the universe can be maintained. So dharma is such a huge word for the Indic society, for the Vedic society, yeah. that um, it is known as dharma civilization, the whole mm -hmm. India. Uh, you know, and Bhagavad Gita is a teaching of how to embody different types of dharma, grandfather's dharma, a citizen's dharma, and there are different types of dharma. There is a sadhudharana dharma, sadhudharana dharma, which is universal dharma, compassion, you know, karuna, kindness, daya, um, ahimsa, non-violence. We should all embody. Then there is special dharma, visheshta dharma. For mm. example, as a host of the show, you have certain dharma. Mm. certain boundaries, do's and don'ts. As the guest to the show, I have a dharma, and mm. I shouldn't take over your role, and you shouldn't take over my role. So mm. the dharma helps, you know, helps us have a good produced show for the benefit of humanity. Yeah. So, you know, if but if I transgress the dharma and I keep cutting into your part, you cut into my part, yeah. it doesn't go anywhere. So vishishta dharma means specific roles. So mm. we have a grandfather's dharma, and a granddaughter's dharma, a teacher's dharma, and a student's dharma. So mm. teachers and students don't sleep together. Teachers mm. and students don't hang out in restaurants together. Yeah. Why? Because otherwise, when the education happens, you know, it won't happen because all these other emotions will come in. So we mm. had a lot of clarity around specific dharmas, mm. universal dharmas. And then within that specific dharma is the concept of swadharma. Mm. And swa means self again mm -hmm. and it's not the big self we're not talking about atma the boundless being we're talking about the bounded being here the mm -hmm. swan swan okay. and it's given a dharma it's so kind so uh, this is taught in the vedas clarified beautifully in the bhagavad-gita and okay. then in my lineage i take it to a whole new level and uh, then i used it for myself and swadharma helps us understand kind of how we want to be in the world, yeah. what's going to be the song we sing, you know, how are we going to lead our profession? Yeah. And so um, there are four main kinds. And the first one is, um, you know, do you, are you a wealth creator? Are you mm -hmm. like an entrepreneur, okay. you know, but an entrepreneur who wants to create wealth, then recognize that. Because you end up creating jobs for other people, you create yeah. products for other people. There must have been some wealth creators which created technology and laptops for us to use, you know, clothes for us to wear. So they, it's not just a selfish thing. So I love it when people understand from Swadharma, it's my dharma to create wealth. So all that, you know, sense of like, I'm not good enough because I love money <laughs> goes away yeah. or I love wealth. And you can be then abundant and make others abundant. That's so true. that's, you know, one, uh, the swadharma of wealth creation. Yeah. Then there is the swadharma of uh, uh, what is known as um, uh, um, uh, pleasure, you know. Okay. 
maybe you're not somebody who wants to create wealth. Maybe yeah. you are not somebody who wants to necessarily um, do anything else, but just kind of go to your Sunday barbecue, plant your yeah. garden, go shopping at Macy's. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with it. Maybe in other lifetimes you've done other things. Oh. And so you can, you can, you know, you just want a regular job and you don't yeah. even want to study the Vedas as such. Nothing wrong with you. Celebrate yourself. Okay. Just celebrate yourself. So that's mm. the pattern of being a pleasure seeker. Then there are some people who will put pleasure aside. They will put money aside because they are cause driven. Okay. A little bit like you and me. You know, we'll put aside a pleasure. We'll put aside our, because we have the cause of bringing light to the universe. I mean, we are yeah. the kind of spiritual warriors, but you know, I'm talking about the Nelson Mandela's and yes. the un, unclapped for uncelebrated Nelson Mandela's in the PTA meeting or in the local park. Yeah. You know, they're ready to vote and, you know, they have a voice and they write a letter to the editor and right. they want to make a difference. So yes. that's cause driven. Yeah. Yeah. And when you're cause driven, you may have a voice that might be suppressed by society. Right. Or you might be told, no, your color is not right, so you don't get to speak. Or right. we don't like who you sleep with, so you don't get to speak. Or we right. don't like, you know, the person you pray to. So we know if you are that, then it's your dharma to speak mm -hmm. up at any cost. At any cost. So Arjuna, for example, was a cause driven kshatriya. And so he had to go to war, a righteous yes. war. He didn't have a choice because if he thought mm. he had, because, you know, in the beginning, Arjuna in Mahabharata says this warrior who had to go to war for those who don't know Mahabharata. And he didn't, he, he developed chicken feet when he saw that the people he loved were on the other side and he didn't want to kill them. Yeah. But uh, he was informed that because it's your Swadharma, Right now, you think that going away on a forest retreat would be great. That's what he said. Let me retire to the forest. Mm. But you'll just, you'll just turn into a psychosomatic nutcase. You have to do what you have to do. And all of these three are swadharmas. And then there's the fourth swadharma, which, again, you might connect with, which is the swadharma of being a spiritual seeker. Okay. And when you're a spiritual seeker, you will you will then ask yourself questions, even as a young child, like, you know, who am I? Who is God? Where is life? And you'll find that you're feeling compassion for others. Yeah. And, 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 and you're told by the Vedas that no matter what other swadharma you have, keep cultivating the swadharma of being a spiritual seeker too. Okay. But if you're born with it, don't, don't suppress it. So we have heard of, AJ, you might have come across so many stories of people who turned their career upside down, who left money behind them, who yeah. didn't care, right? Yeah. Because they they were drawn by the spirit. Yeah. And that's your swadharma, which is yours and mine too. And you can have more yeah. than one, but one may be dominant. So yeah. then you follow that. And the universe has something. You become an instrument for the universe. So that might yeah. and not just ego. You become a divine instrument. And mm -hmm. the universe will support you. And one way, the final thing I want to say is, you know you are in your swadharma is, you'll find a lot of support. Mm. 
But when you're not in your swadharma and you're following some script, I yeah. must hold a nine to five job, I must do this, I must do that, yeah. you'll find obstacles. Mm. Got it. Yeah, and what you shared is really, really resonating with me. A few years back, I had uh, done my MBA. And so I had two paths. In fact, I had one path, which is to, you know, do the regular nine to five and aspire for that promotion after promotion and then save for my uh, retirement and raise a normal family and, you know, the, the, the normal route. But deep down, I felt that if I do that, and if I lived lately, then I would have a sense of regret within myself. And I didn't want that regret. I'd rather go down the other route, which is spreading the wisdom uh, of uh, energy healing and yoga and mysticism and, and Ayurveda. And although that might take a bit longer, that would fulfill me to a higher extent. right? And so I don't know which one of these I fall under. Definitely spiritual seeker, uh, cause driven, and, and uh, I seek pleasure as well. And so maybe I'm in multiple boxes, but I feel that I'm learning more and more of our, about what my true calling is. I'm not there yet, but I'm definitely on that path. So thanks a lot for providing this uh, these different routes for us that we can look into. You were in touch with what you wanted. Like you could take, but I know of so many people who crush their soul and do that job, you know? Yeah. So this podcast can be really useful for people to do a soul searching yeah. I'm also a pleasure seeker. You should come see my garden. You should see my home. <laughs> it's decorated with beautiful idols and things. And, you know, absolutely. We can have all boxes. But whichever yeah. is that song, you can't let that go. Because yeah, then everything would end as a result. So yes, I hope yes. our conversation helps people kind of move into their swadharma. And whichever is the dominant one. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And so Action Tribe, the the, the point that uh, Acharya and we also we're trying to make is that you need to not let go of that song that's being played from your heart. It might be faint, especially if you're doing something else. But if you listen to that faint voice and uh, be softly pulled by it, then you'll be on your way. Uh, now, I'm sure that this question is there on many of our listeners' mind, which is how do we find our purpose, our calling, and the work that we need to do here on Earth? What is that one piece of advice that you can give us, Acharya, that can get us closer to finding our purpose? I think, one, this topic of Swadharma is very helpful okay. at a day-to-day -day level. Mm -hmm. Like at a day-to-day -day level, I like to be involved in spiritual matters. I think about God and goddess consciousness. I think about spirit, atma, yeah. evolution, self-actualization, realization. So it kind of fills my day. But in terms of life purpose, are you talking about like job kind of life purpose or the big soul life purpose? Great question. Um I guess uh, in this context, it would be the job because like you've alluded to, the normal question that somebody has is, do I pursue my nine to five or do I some, do something that is deep within me calling me to do that vocation, which in a way can translate into my job, if, if that makes sense. Then I always say that don't listen to your mind, follow your heart. Okay. And I'm not saying this because I'm a spiritual mystical teacher and I believe in the heart because I'm a very practical um this world kind of person you know yeah. but i have found now after i don't know uplifting how many broken hearts 
that they, the mind is weaker than the heart because heart is the domain of your atma. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't listen here and if you only try to do something between this and the space, yeah. you rebel or you have depression or disease. Mm. So either you bring harmony between the two, you know, um, like maybe do part-time something, part-time something, you know, yeah. or weekend something, or you just follow your heart. Mm. I just followed my heart. I never, I never bother about money. I'm not, I'm, I never bothered about anything. I follow my heart. I follow spirit and everything follows me. I don't know. It's there or not there. And I have found so many people who are like, yeah, I got to do this because this is what my family needs, society needs. Mm. And there's just no room to be flexible. And there's no voice of the heart, that soft voice that AJ is talking about, that, that soft whisper. There's no room for it at all. And then there is, you know, hypertension, diabetes, because I'm an Ayurvedic teacher and I meet countless people across the world in my course, Alchemy for Ayurveda, everywhere that alchemy is missing. That's why I have to bring the alchemy back between the mind and the soul, you know, between and the soul and God so that you can breathe and be. You know, so it's a great question. And this is something that disturbs the physical health too, AJ. You know, yeah. when you don't follow that, because what you do for a living, like kind of takes up a big part of your day. It does. And you're estranged from your heart desire, from your swadharma, so many hours. It doesn't <laughs> work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're just the thought and prospect of not doing what you were truly meant to do, especially if you know it, is uh, is uh, limiting and is heartbreaking. So thanks a lot for pointing us in the right direction, that of listening to the heart. Now, I've got a question for you about Vedanta, and this is something I've been thinking about for a couple of weeks now. Now, they say that when it comes to struggles, Vedanta says that you're not your body, you're not your emotions, you're not your thoughts, and you are the witness consciousness behind all of these experiences, right? But isn't the experience still there? Aren't you still experiencing that pain or discomfort? Isn't it still hard to bear? I'm not sure if this is a pretty deep question. Yeah, actually, this is a very um, oversimplification of Vedanta. Okay. Because Vedanta, when again, when we go into the whole system, we go into the deep teaching of Vedanta, then Vedanta also teaches you how to manage with it, it teaches two parts. The beginning part of Vedanta teaches you who you are as a jiva, as an embodied yeah. being. Yeah. Then it takes you to the part where you are a complete spirit. And so people who tout that you're an observer, you're a sakshi, it's like it's like you're putting an invisible band-aid on a real bleeding wound. And that doesn't work. And this is like where you're just tantamounting some things, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But really, if you go deep into Vedanta teachings with Bhagavad Gita is Vedanta, it Mm. begins, it doesn't begin with, it goes deep into Karma Yoga. And Karma Mm. Yoga is, there is no spirituality there. Karma Yoga is about how to use, how to have attitudes and how to have right mental uh, state of mind to deal with problems. So these teachings come up, how to not go uh, into a resistance mode when problems come up, because after resistance, we magnify it. After magnify it, we lose control, negative emotions take over. 
how to accept the problem, how to face the problem when it comes in front of you, how yeah. to hold on to the God. And then maybe you can step back and watch your thoughts. So these are all part of a bigger tapestry of teaching in Vedanta. But again, because classical Ayurveda is only a few gems are hanging out there. Mm. So it's all related to, you know, to being just that Sakshi. But And that's really big in modern Vedanta teachings. You mm. are not the person. You're only an observer. Nothing yeah. is happening. But yeah. classical Ayurveda says, oh, my God, there are three levels of reality. One is the here and now. And mm. when you press my, if you put a pin in me, mm. I'm going to just stop it. Yeah. Okay. So this is known as the Vyabharika reality. Okay. Then you have um, the, uh, sorry, it is known as the Vyabharika reality, where transactional reality, it's happening. Mm. And then you have another reality, which is only happening in my mind, where I think you're pushing the pin in me and I get irritated and I can step back as a Sakshi. Mm -hmm. But if you're physically putting it, I'm going to say, stop it, stop it, aging. Mm. Or I'm going to, you know, do something. But in mentally, I can step back. And then there is a third level known as Paramarthika reality where you are completely in a God state. And that's, and that third time, this question doesn't count. Mm. So, see, these deeper teachings come from working with deeper teachers. Yep. So you ask the question that everybody asks me. Oh, how can you be a Sakshi? Another thing people blame Vedanta is, Oh, you're always saying everything is Maya, everything is Maya, everything mm. is an illusion, everything is an illusion. How does it work? Um, this water is not an illusion. So mm. then I tell them again, in, when you are when you are in this state of reality, this is not an illusion. But when you'll be in the absolute state, this will be an illusion. Just, Just like in a dream, when you drink dream water, you don't think it's dream, you think it's reality. That's true. When you wake up, you realize that was a dream. Yeah. So that's why um, I appreciate you bringing it up so I could explain that there is more to it. Mm. And there's so many deeper teachings of the whole lifestyle. Absolutely. And Thanks a lot for sharing that with us. It's not just one aspect. You got to go step by step and uh, make, it, make it into a lifestyle so that you get the whole picture so yeah. thanks a lot for sharing you've shared so many uh, nuggets of wisdom and stories and insights and terms today that our listeners i'm sure are really really much more little... knowledgeable i'll just say that again action tribe to access the show notes for this episode visit my seven chakras.com forward slash three five four and if you're enjoying the session so far especially if you're on your iPhone or your Apple device, make sure that you hit subscribe because then you'll be notified about our new episodes. Because sometimes if you're not subscribed, you'll miss out on all the action. All right. So hit subscribe. That thou art. Tatvam Asi. You are Brahman. Now, this is an ancient quote from the Upanishads from India, which means that you are the universe. Think about it. You are the universe. So if you're going through challenges or difficulties or struggles, or maybe some obstacles, remember that you are in fact the universe. And remembering that allows you to put this experience into perspective. What is that one lesson that you can learn from this situation? What is the universe trying to teach you through this experience? And how can this be the best thing that you have ever experienced? Even though you might perceive this in the present moment as negative, what can you learn from this? Because remember, Tatvam Asi, you are the universe. 
So Acharya, talk to us about a time in your life when you had to go through a difficult situation and how did you overcome it or, you know, how did you sort of uh, get out of that situation? In my current mindset, I, I don't see my life as a difficult situations. They were all growth experiences. But um, I think my main thing I already talked about that was with uh, my was with my was in my in the realm of my relationships mm. and um, how and, and and there were times when I felt like. I have no idea how I can deal with this. Mm. But um, I also lost one relationship, uh, a very important relationship with the father of my child. And uh, coming from a traditional setup, that was very hard for me. Now, in retrospect, we are all such brilliant friends. We can laugh at it, and it feels like, of course, who else will do this but me? Mm. And who else will overcome this? Because I and my um, my child's father were meant to be friends, and uh, my current partner of more than two decades, he's my soulmate. And it was not easy with him, too. Like I mentioned, it doesn't come easy to me to be in an intimate relationship. Mm. And either I become really small or I become too powerful. Mm. And the learning for me was to be in Prajna, to be compassionate for the other and to be compassionate for myself, to speak, yeah. to not to. And, and this whole relationship karma became my huge asset in life. And now I lead workshops on relationships and I help people. Yeah. And my husband is an Ayurveda chef and we teach classes together to an Ayurveda students worldwide. So it's such a beautiful joy. So I think that was my only, that was my probably a hard time for me um, from a, from a human story perspective uh, in this story. Yeah. Got it. Well, thanks a lot. Firstly, to be so vulnerable in sharing, you know, your challenges. I know it's not a easy thing to share, especially if you're, sharing your story on a public forum like this, but I appreciate you for sharing. What I'm learning is if you're in a relationship, then it's not always a honeymoon, right? It's not always good, good, good. There, are, there is going to be challenges and difficulties and, you know, misunderstandings. But the strength of a relationship is how you come together and, and resolve the challenge, right? Or to discuss it out or, you know, know that you have the positive and the right intention behind it from a dharmic standpoint and uh, if if you if you work together like you've shared right now you you know your husband is uh, an ayurvedic chef and you're in this journey together in this quest together of making a difference which i think is wonderful so thanks a lot for sharing because a lot of our listeners can really take in what you've shared and implement it in their own uh, relationships one thing on this aditya the one of the reasons i share is because I've coined a new way of living for us spiritual teachers mm. who are always trying to be enlightened. Yeah. And I call it enlightened vulnerability. Mm. And that allows, and I have a future book coming out on it. It allows us to be vulnerable and it doesn't, uh, and I, you know, and, and it allows me to be enlightened in that vulnerability. 
And number two, I like to share because I don't like to. Why would I not share? Mm. I am perfection, completion inside me. Yep. The human part of me is learning and growing and having adventures. <laughs> so I want to change the kind of ways the swamis and gurus from India came out. And, yeah. uh, you know, and often they teach about relationships, but they've never been in one. Yeah. So I'm a person who's been in relationship. I have been out of it, in it. I've been a mother. If I don't shed light on these most dark and painful areas of our life. Yeah. You know, how will we ever how will we ever take the Vedas or the yeah. Bhagavad Gita that was taught in a war in yeah. the wars and battles of our lives? So it's my imperative and my seva and my service to be transparent and to rejoice and celebrate who I am. Well, that's wonderful. And uh, the best part is that your teachings and what you're sharing today is very applicable and is very practical to people who are living the daily life, especially urban dwellers living in the city. And that's the best part of it. So thanks a lot for sharing. Action Tribe, I hope you're enjoying today's session so far. And you know, you know a thing or two more about the Vedas and the ancient wisdom contained within them. It's definitely a journey. And I sense deep within that you were meant to join us in this conversation today so that you can get exactly the information that you need on your journey ahead. Now, many of us are looking for happiness, right? But the more that we look at happiness outside the whole effort, it feels a bit elusive. It's always escaping you because the happiness always seems out of your reach. The truth is that happiness cannot be found outside of you because the joy, true joy, like we're learning today, is within you. You are joy. And the more you take away the blocks and the blockages and the stuck energy that is preventing you from experiencing that true joy, the more you will feel it. Because as the seers of ancient times put, the universe that is you, you are Sat Chit Ananda. Sat meaning existence. And by now you already know that you exist. Chit meaning consciousness. And if you're a regular listener, you would know that you are consciousness and Ananda which is intense joy, because what's the point of existing without the experience of joy? So don't forget to really enjoy yourself today. Like there's no tomorrow, make it a point to feel the joy within, because as we're learning today, you are joy. So thanks a lot for joining us so far. We are at our last round for today, which is the wisdom round. Four questions so that our listeners can take note and take action. So the first question for you, Acharya, is what is the best piece of advice that you have received on your journey so far? Again, from Baba. And he said it in Hindi, but I have the English words because I use it in my book. Okay. I a lifestyle wisdom. And he said, a well-lived day is medicine mm -hmm. unto itself. And what that meant was, how what, what consciousness do you bring to that day? What foods do you eat in that day? What truths do you... Uh, you know, tell that day. Uh, what forgiveness do you bring to others who are ignorant or sleepwalking that day? And so, and it also takes me away from yesterday and tomorrow. It keeps me in the day. And every day in the morning, I remember that a well-lived day is a medicine unto itself. And I have used that. And my each day 
Mm-hmm. I'm going to share this with all your beautiful speakers. Feels like I'm in heaven already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and difficulties come and I what do I bring to it? You know, so with my knowledge of Ayurveda, Yoga and Vedanta, but with this culling of like, I just need to work on a day at a time, a day at a mm-hmm. time, a day at a time. My students and team of my nonprofit are surprised that I don't plan so much deeply ahead. But still, day at a time, day at a time, being present, being mindful, being uh, knowledgeable, being eating right, breathing right, achieved a lot in life. Thank you for sharing. And if you could turn back time and spend one hour with someone who is living or dead, who would it be? Baba, my teacher. Thank More time is always useful. I miss him. And what is it one thing that you do in the morning or maybe in the evening before you go to sleep that has improved the quality of your life? Wow. Well, in the morning, I do many things. And in the night also, um, they're all spiritual practices from the Veda. For example, I look at my hands. The moment I get up and I chant a shloka, but basically the essence of it is that the power of uh, abundance, the power of the knowledge and the power, the sheer power. So Lakshmi, which is abundance, Saraswati, knowledge and power, which is Durga. They all dwell not here, there in some distant realm, but within me. And then I bless myself or I bless my heart chakra or whichever chakra needs like that support for the vulnerable part of me. The enlightened part of me blesses me. So the enlightened part of me blesses the vulnerable part. I also go out to the sun, the rising sun, or pre-rising is when I watch it, and I chant uh, the Surya mantras to it, you know, Mitraya Namaha, Surya Namaha, we have 12 mantras like that, so I chant, then I turn around, and as I turn around, I just see who pops into my mind, mm. and these are people who I feel are hurting, or these are people I love, or these are strangers I may have seen on a BART station. And okay. their face props up and I bless them. So I turn around. And so I have this fabulous morning connecting to the universe. At night, I always read one shloka from the Bhagavad Gita, one verse. Mm. I read it many times. I teach it, but I read it to savour it again because Krishna is Jagat Guru. And I am his eternal student. And I study from him. Then I chant some mantras. Uh, we have a beautiful mantra where I, I may I chant it. That's how I end my night. So it's the Gayatri mantra and it's we go through the chakras one by one. So we go Om Bhuhu, Om Bhuvaha, Om Swaha, Om Mahaha, Om Janaha, Om Tapaha, Om Satyam Tat Savitur Varenyam Argo Devasya Dimahi Dhyoyona Rachodayat And I'll keep doing this and I fall asleep. So these are some of my very <laughs> practices that I do. I live I choose to live in a goddess world. I create my own magic and I live in it and I teach it. 
And what is it one book that you'd like to refer or recommend to our listeners today? Your listeners must be advanced listeners. <laughs> and I'm thinking I'm going to tell them about this ancient uh, non-dual text, which has some 500 plus verses. So it will take a lifetime mm-hmm. to get started on it. Um, it is known as Viveka Churamani in English. It is available, I think. I've seen it available online here and there, and it's called the um, the crown jewel of um, the crown jewel or the crest jewel of discrimination. Discrimination here means discernment yeah. between reality and non-reality, truth and appearance, illusion and truth. So it really, if you keep reading it, it'll take you to a whole another level. If you buy it and if you read it, that means your Swadharma is of a spiritual seeker and you are mandated to be reading it. I'm just a vessel of the universe through AJ telling you about it, you know. But it's a great text by uh, 8th century um, Advaita master Adi Shankaracharya. Got it. I'll have that in the show notes. Viveka Chudamani. crest jewel of discrimination or crown jewel i'll add both options um in the show notes uh thanks a lot for sharing all that you've shared so far before you go what is that one thing that you are grateful for today and how do all of our listeners find you online and learn about your work i'm grateful for myself my big self how can i be found ah yeah you know the usual the websites and yeah. all social media handles and everywhere you can find me by my name acharya shunya which i'm sure aditya will hand will add in the handle there yeah we'll definitely add your website as well as uh your instagram handle your social media handles and uh, the gift that you're providing to our listeners as well we'll add all of that information in the show notes so don't forget action tribe to check out the show notes Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners before you part away? I love talking to you. Thank, Thank you. you. And likewise, I also really enjoyed this conversation Action Tribe. If you are on Instagram, then take a screenshot of this particular episode and tag us so that I can share your story with our community. My handle is at @my7chakras. That's @my7chakras. And uh, if you have a question, comment, observation, about this episode then feel free to reach out my email is aj at my7chakras.com that's aj at my7chakras.com uh, so acharya thank you so much for coming on our show talking to us about vedic wisdom ayurveda yoga vedanta and taking us one step closer to a human revolution the seven chakras swirling vortices of energy positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head for thousands of years this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple what are the functions of these energy centers and could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose welcome to my seven chakras and now your host aditya jai kumar kumar 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.